All right, and we're going. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast of Empathic Futures Lab, uh, the human-focused, uh, the podcast about human-focused futures uh, for our environments. Um, thank you for listening. I'm Chris. And I'm Christian. This is take two. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so what you don't know is that we tried to record probably about five minutes ago now, and it was pouring outside my window, so you couldn't really hear much besides the rain uh, hitting my window. You could say the rain was flowing. The rain was flowing. Anyway, that bad <laughs> the bad joke aside, uh, we're getting into the second podcast in our series, series on Kevin Kelly's book, um, The Inevitable. And so if you missed last week's episode on the, the first chapter called Becoming, uh, go check that out. Uh, this episode will be on the third chapter. Um, we're skipping the second chapter because it's kind of redundant with what we've talked about previously. Um, but this chapter is on flowing. Um, so basically the idea behind flowing is that uh, as, as, as time has gone on, as we've become more technologically advanced, um, things that used to be pretty rare or kind of fixed and physical uh, can now be copied much more easily. Uh, you know, first with the Industrial Revolution and copying books, copying cars, you know, mass production. Now we're into like copying music rapidly and like freely, uh, or books even with ebooks and, and whatnot. Um, Pretty much every media form right, that you can imagine. Right. TV, um, music, movies, whatever. It's all copied really easily. Um, so we're reaching the state of flowing where these these media forms and, and perhaps other parts of our life soon um, are able to be quickly and conveniently accessed everywhere in our lives, right? So like um, we can play music now really easily at all times of day as opposed to just like, you know, having to be a little more intentional about it. It can be like a background activity. We can modify it. We can speed it up, slow it down. Uh, cut it off, upload it to, so other people can do that, right? Um, so sort of, you know, flowing more freely through our lives. Um, and, right. then, and then the idea yes. is in the future, it'll be much more modifiable and even more greater extent of this will occur. Yeah, and uh, just to add to that, I think another really important note of this idea is that as, as something becomes more digitized and less analog, less fixed... Um, it becomes more accessible and it's something you can access anywhere at any time uh, is uh, as as a form of media and you know the big question for us is how does architecture and environments uh, step into this because obviously we know there's certain aspects of environment that um, are already exist in this flow like music for instance you know it, the same extension can sort of be added to sound, uh, how you perceive the sound space, the soundscape of an environment. Um, you can even get into like digital means with, you know, displays and things like that, that are part of this flowing world. Right. Um, and so all of these sort of, uh, come together at some point, there's a word for that. Yeah. When, uh, yeah. Sort of all these sort of come together and start forming, a flowing physical you know slash digital environment right. and i think yeah I, I think that i think that's an important place to start um you know we've had so many conversations along these lines now i think uh, most of the conversations have kind of 
in, in some extent touched on this idea of flowing, of changing, of, of always updating to a certain extent. Um, but I think this might be different in terms of, uh, maybe it's a little more specific. Um, but okay, so coming back to what you were talking about, uh, where do you think we're at in terms of like environment design, in terms of space design, in terms of like, you know, an, ex uh, an experience that's mostly physical, where are we at in this, these four stages? Um, well, first, I don't think we've talked about the four stages yet. Okay. Well, there's... I think we should define what those four stages are. Yeah. Um, so Kevin Kelly has gone through and defined the four stages of flowing, uh, one being the fixed rare, which are these sort of, I guess, you know, we can almost relate to these authentic experiences or things that are rooted in a physical, physical artifact or environment or something right um the books that we were yeah, discussing books, earlier the is what his example is and which is even kind of not but yeah those sorts of things the free ubiquitous um which he talks about uh he uses music as the big um sort of allegory i guess here uh for this idea and the free ubiquitous is this moment i guess when music becomes digitized and it's something that's accessible on the internet um, flowing and sharing is when that music has sort of become networked, right? It's when it's when it's accessed or hyperlinked, available, um, sort of from a lot of different places. Right. And sort of the difference the between iTunes music library and Spotify, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then opening becoming is well, what is this one really? I think I it's, think it's the ability to be modified by the user. Is that sort of what? I think we're not quite there yet, but I think he was kind of touching on it, and, and, and YouTube is sort of evolving into that, sort of these social media apps like Periscope are evolving into that, uh, where you can quickly and easily um, modify and produce your own content, or, uh, I don't know, edit your own content based on other people's content. So it's sort of a shared, maybe open source network of things. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe coding is is sort of there more than anything else with like how github works okay uh but even that is not quite as ubiquitous as he seems to describe it to be or as accessible really um, gotcha yeah I, I, that's my take on it anyway well for if we're if if the question here is where are we at here in terms of physical space um you know i think we have to say we're at the at the fixed rare uh, spot right now, but I also I also want to diverge. That's a word a little bit, um, and talking about who if there's an architect that's sort of used the digital media to you know maybe start moving to this idea of free or ubiquitous, not necessarily with the experience of environments, but rather the consumption of architectural image. Well, I think even. Well, yeah, I think definitely with the consumption of architectural image, that's pretty free and ubiquitous. You have DZ and you yeah. have Arc Daily, Design Boom. Um, I don't know what else. Bustler, Arc Connect. Everyone's showing images. I, I think uh, that's Pinterest even, right? That, that architectural architecture as an image is everywhere. Right. It's almost like architecture now with models and 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 hand drawing is, is it, that's where it's flipped again, right? That's where the that's where those are no longer bad, but kind of more rare and cool. Uh, it's the idea that Kevin Kelly talked about of 
once something becomes free and ubiquitous, it flips, right? The market flips. Um, so yeah, I think that, but I think you could also say that, um, I don't, I don't want to move away from this idea that architecture is not, is necessarily stuck in phase one, stage one. Cause I think, you know, there, there started to be some movements towards two or even three with some of these wiki house movements, right? That 3d printed house, that CNC your own house. Um, right. I don't know if you remember that, but I think that kind yeah. of has some sort of uproar to it. The flat pack house idea. Yeah, yeah. Or um, even strip malls to a certain extent, right? It's just developer-made housing. You're you're crapping out a bunch of them. Right. I had I had a note about this somewhere um, where they talk about this moment in when he talks about this moment in music where. Where something, something, uh, there is, uh, music transformation was in some ways defined by the technology that helped sustain it. Oh, so he talks about how music was defined by some sort of oh, yeah, that, that device that was four and a half, that, you know, defined it to four and a half minutes, right? Yeah, that was fascinating. Uh, and that was the sort of parameter that drove it into its digital life, really. Um, it was kind of a remnant, really, of that. Cause yeah, I guess, I guess maybe it's more of a remnant, but maybe this wasn't exactly what I was getting at. Um, but I, one thing I was wondering is if there's something that we have now that's going to ultimately drive architecture into this. And I guess beyond that... Um, what do what does what happens what needs to happen to architecture in order to do this like do you, does it have to be like you said super developer driven to where um like the whole point he makes through here is the second the in order to achieve the second thing free and ubiquitous like you have to you have to start to figure out how these environments can start being free right? yeah yeah and so you know, does that just mean that it has to be the most efficiently sort of developer-driven thing? Or I think I guess how do we get to that point to then you know move on to these other points? Yeah. Well, I think to a certain extent we're almost there, or are there, um, in some some respects, right? Like you think about this, our four and a half minute thing might be some form of construction. It might be a balloon frame construction or or stud construction or something where it's just extreme prefab yeah prefab construction something where you know it can come together in like three days right and then you then you put your facade over it right you can pop up the structure and then it's done uh is that is that kind of our our free and ubiquitous thing because to to how much of that is designed by an architect how much how many architects want to design that stuff i think it's really just the developers who do that um or they they have an in-house architect who will just pop them out and right right it, it's not free and it but it is ubiquitous right. and it's more or less free because it's you know the architect's not designing it they work for the developer so it's in that extent it's kind of free they're kind of i think we're we're close to stage two of free and ubiquitous to a certain extent well, and I, I was thinking probably the place where this might be the most likely to occur first is in housing if it hasn't already, look at the, yeah. what are those, um, those towns, right? That 
Pennsylvania and New Jersey town from the 50s? Oh, um, Levittown. Levittowns, right? Isn't that kind right. of Levittowns? So maybe, that, maybe that's a really good example of, you know, the first step of, the second step of, um, of how this might have happened or is all, you know, going to happen in architecture. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we sort of get into these and you have, I mean, maybe another decent example is the, uh, the capsule tower in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's like an attempt which, to move beyond free and ubiquitous almost. Yeah. It was attempt to, is it an attempt to move into flowing where it's constantly changing and constantly upgrading to user needs? Yeah, probably. I think, I think I would agree. I think, um, you know, they, this, this was something that was, you know, discussed in terms of architectural theory and ideas and everything, you know, 50, 60 years ago, Cedric, Cedric Price and his fun palace is a big one, just designing an armature and allowing, allowing the audience to sort of define their own environments and how those should be. Right. Right. Cause I think, um, I mean, it's a conversation we've come back to over and over and over again is what's fixed and what's not fixed. But I think that kind of comes into play again here, right? The armature for doing something, the infrastructure for living. Um, are we sort of, in a certain extent, and maybe we're not as far as we could be, but we're getting close, I think, to um, the armature of a building or the construction, the physical box of a building being um, sort of... Um, I don't know. Is it is it basically where it's going to get in terms of major upgrades? And then is it is it sort of the interiors or the experiences within that that are going to be the free and flowing and opening and becoming of of the future? I mean, I mean structurally, that was kind of the modern project, right? <laughs> in architecture, at least. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, that's kind of what they're trying to do. Except, I think we got. We're at a point now where we see modernism as this thing in and of itself. Well, it's an aesthetic um, now more than more yeah, than it is a theory. As, as this thing in and of itself, and that people shouldn't modify it. Right. 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 As modernism is a thing. It got put in a box. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Don't want it to be put in a box. Um, but yeah, I think uh, what, what I was going with that is we've kind of I don't know how much we can make at least maybe maybe in the future i'll be wrong but how much we can make a physical thing flowing and um you know how how in the flow can a physical building get and and maybe we're we're further behind maybe that's still stuck sort of in between stage one and stage two maybe maybe it's close maybe it's or maybe it's in stage two and and moving towards stage three with sort of this modular construction and the ability to and the ability to rebuild quickly or maybe that's sort of the epitome of stage two with this modular construction is what we're going towards. I don't know. Um, but sort of these interior spaces, I think, could quickly move from two to three to four even, um, right? Like we're already yeah. controlling our lights, we're controlling our music, we're controlling. Uh, I think I saw recently, uh, maybe it was at the CES conference, I saw an article about or just a, a short blurb on something that controls smell. It's like 100 candles in one. Right. Uh, yeah, pretty amazing. That's cool. Yeah, right. That's like it's one of the senses. Big. Yeah, that's one of the senses that we haven't done really yet, tapped into right? that much. We've done voice. We've done. We've done sound. We've done. Uh, we've done vision. Now we're moving on to smell. Um, I mean, and beyond that, I mean, is there? 
do you question whether or not there's some sort of, you know, smart material that does all of the above? Well, yeah, I mean, does the smart material, like, not move in in a sense, like walls, but just kind of change change from, like, a warm material to a cold material to a fuzzy to a hard? Yeah, I, I, maybe it's that. That could be awesome. That could really kind of encapsulate our senses and become this sort of flowing space where we um, really moderate everything. Yeah. Or personalize everything. Um, and then we, I think from there we could quickly move. I think that's flowing right there, right? The ability to change senses. And then I think we move into stage four, opening or becoming, where it's really about the user um, becoming the creator, right? You're flipping. You're flipping again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are, are, are users uh, sort of creating these whole scenes for themselves where they like pair a color with a smell with a texture, right? And, and maybe it starts as a designer-led endeavor and then the user kind of modifies that over and over again. Um, they're like, well, I don't like green with that color. Like you did, I'm going to change the green, shade of green to like a lime green or, or more of a forest green and kind of tweak the smell a little bit to be a little more pine, pine needly, right? Um, yeah, and that, that brings up a good point, because right at that section in Becoming, it says, uh, the status of creation is inverted, so that the audience is now the artist, output, selection, and quality skyrocket. Yep. And I want to, is that like perceived quality? I don't know. I don't know. That, that was something that caught me a little bit off guard. Well, I actually, quality thing. yeah. Because I always, you always associate quality with the expert. Right, right. No, I, I mean, you're the expert of yourself. No, I completely agree with that. I, I, immediately upon reading that, I was like, I thought about blogs. I was like, are those better quality than New York Times? And uh, maybe, maybe not, but maybe just by sheer quantity, it's, some of them will be of higher quality. Well, a New York Times editor, you know, or writer, they probably have to write about a broad range of topics, right? Yeah. Whereas a bloggist, a blogger, they're writing about something that's really, really specific, yeah. right? They're writing about a very specific thing and, you know, question the quality of aesthetic, maybe, but question the quality of content, it might be better. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I've run into that for sure. I've run into some blogs, I think, that are extremely shallow and I'm like, why did I spend three or four minutes reading that? You, but then I've, and that's probably true of most of what I write. <laughs> But the market um, works itself out. But yeah, the market works itself out where you, you read a few things and you're like, oh, that was way better than, you know, a lot right. of the stuff I read on, on professional websites. Um, so I think you're right. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's this sort of niche thing that you kind of get close to your problem and you start producing more. Right. Um, and, then, and then you sort of achieve the postmodern dream, which is, you know, about specificity, I guess, or... Gosh. Um, I, don't even, I don't even know. Variants. I yeah. suppose, where where you have people that are working for other people that are very, you know, it's very specific differences. Like, they understand each other better. You understand the variables that influence this person better. And, you know, you can sort of have these strange relationships between your quote-unquote neighbors. You know, they may or not may not be your next-door neighbor, but they may be your neighbor in terms of how you experience your living room similarly right. or something. Yeah. Right. I mean, I... Really, really kind of interesting and in, in, in a way in which you see into someone else's living room uh you know through <laughs> you're sort of experiencing someone else's living room within your own right and i think we're kind of with this getting into this idea that sort of the national media or the national elite are, are 
detached from detached from everyday society or detached from your personal needs and and I think that opens up a whole another can of worms on this sort of personal bubble or polarization of politics and whatever. But um, I think that aside, there's still value there. It's just cleaning cleaning up the edges to make it work. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Was, did you have anything else? Um, well, I, I had a discussion that I kind of wanted to take this into um, okay. from this stage, unless you have something you want to add to this immediate Um, I have something on page 67 I thought was interesting um, where they're talking about trust but I don't know if we need to get into that too much alright let me I think it'll work its way into this thing this next question I want to I want to pose and basically where I'm going with this is we talked about this idea of of um, you know the the audience becoming the creator right this flipping of the audience pyramid right Um, and I think what that brings up to me is how much as designers, uh, architects or UI designers or graphic designers or whatever, um, how much music writers, right? Screenwriters, everyone who does any sort of design, how much creative endeavor, right? How much do we want to reach stage four? I mean, I think personally, I wouldn't mind reaching stage four just because, you know, I think it'd be a worthwhile endeavor. And I, I'm, I guess I don't consider myself as so much of an artist that I want things to be my way, right? I don't, I'm not so much a perfectionist that I want it to happen. Um, but I, I know people who are, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? You, to a certain extent, uh, you're an expert. You're someone who, who has an aesthetic that you think is good, and, and, and people gravitate towards that, and, and you kind of know how to streamline that. Um, but then do you want people to go around and sort of change that? Um, because they want to change it and they think, you know, you know, they, they, they think they know better about the situation than you do, um, whether they do or not. So I I guess my question, yeah, where, where do we want to go? Do we want, do we want stage four? Is it good for the design industry? In stage four, I think it relates to this quality thing again. And we're talking, if you're talking about an artist who generally does something for himself or herself from their own perspective... Um, it's going to it's going to go out into the world and it's going to appeal to people in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. But um, that that sort of has a general effect. But to allow people to take that and then manipulate on top of it so that it's more conducive or accessible to a particular group. Um, I think that the question then there is whether or not that's valuable. Right. I mean, so, uh, that's the question I would pose to your question. Yeah. Is that, and, and I think uh, maybe, maybe we're both sort of biased into that being uh, this podcast in general, sort of that biased into that being valuable. Um, but it really struck with me, stuck with me once in grad school where someone was talking about, uh, like they basically made their architecture project a wall that was for graffiti um, to be added, and it was sort of this living document in a way. And and sure. and I don't think it was super well thought out. I think it was one of those quick junior year projects or something like that. But one of the reviewers was like, "Do you really want people to draw on your building? Do you trust people to draw on this thing that you're designing? Do you really want? Why don't you want the control over that?" And I thought that that's kind of stuck with me, not because I agree with it necessarily, 
but just because it was it was kind of this thing that I never thought of. It just kind of struck me as like odd. <laughs> um, that I mean, yeah, graffiti can be a bad thing, but I suppose it's there's two sides to that. It could be a good thing. Well, I think I think that might bring up the question about trust and authenticity, right? Right. So if you can if you can always even if even if it's something that's been manipulated upon, if there's always an authentic version of the reality that you can experience, then is that okay? Even if you know, even if this all this stuff just moves into the public realm and is free from manipulation, is that okay for you? Is that enough for you yeah. that there's a version which is the authentic version out there? And if you want that, you can have it. You can pay the premium for it, whatever. But if you're also interested in these other versions, you can subscribe to those as well. Yeah, I like that. Are you, as a designer, okay with being the baseline to a certain degree? Yeah, I mean, you develop a baseline and then whatever happens from that happens. But I think that what I think what Kevin Kelly is saying that you have to get over it. Yeah. You have to get over your ego, like allow people to, you know, manipulate the world and allow people to sample your music and build it in a new song and just deal with it. Yeah. And I I think not even because regardless of whether he agrees with that or, or whether he wants that to happen, I think, you know, get over it just because I think maybe it is just going to happen. Yeah. There's, there's no two ways about it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I think that's a good I way mean, of putting that's, it. That's my whole problem with this um, preservation. I don't have a good preservation argument, but that's my general issue with the uh, AT&T building in New York City. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a building, okay? But they're not tearing it down. Um but they are modifying it. Yep. You can say it's better, whatever, but I don't think, you know, you ha- they'd have to make, I mean, I don't know if anyone's really making an argument that this is so much, that the building as it is now is so much better for the public than what it will be in the future. Yeah. If, if like, if preserving it the way it is now means anything really yeah. in the world, and that's that's a pretty controversial thing to say, but if, if you know if it doesn't mean anything to anyone that's not an architect and and you know is that is that enough to keep it the way it is i don't know yeah and i, I think I've, I've even i feel like i've seen interviews with architects where they've just can kind of like well that's just kind of what happens people renovate your buildings yeah um, and it's and it's okay it happens it's in the public realm like you don't it's not your own it's not something you own and even artists, like you sell this thing, you it's something for other people to consume. If you, and if you, and it, I don't even know if the architect himself would defend not changing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like. Yeah. And this is kind of maybe a rabbit hole and, and, and a digression, and probably shouldn't follow this too far down. But I think. Yeah. Um, where I was going with it, I think, you know, it's maybe it's maybe that's what makes it even more unfortunate that, you know, something like Penn Station in New York was was torn down and replaced by such a crappy alternative because I think that sort of put people on heightened alert of what could happen, right? The unfortunate situations right. that could yeah, happen. That's a good point. And now they're like, we don't want another one of those. Even if it's not going to be another one of those, they're kind of more sensitive to it. And, and we kind of have to get over that and say, hey, uh, we realized that was a mistake. 
that we changed something or got rid of it completely, but that doesn't mean that changing something a little bit is going to be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, I don't know if you had anything. I have, I had one other point of discussion. Um, and I, I guess it's kind of already been discussed, but if we're trying to get to this fourth stage of, of flowing, right, this idea that everyone becomes an author, everyone becomes a creator, how do we, how do we get there? How, what, um, how, what stages, what's kind of in our way of doing that? Um, and I think obviously technology is one. We can't really do that yet. Um, well, I mean, we're already there in some respects. Like you can go into like in terms of VR, right? Like that might be the gateway to doing uh, this and or AR maybe. That mm-hmm. might be like the best gateway in order to you know achieving some of these things um, and having these uh, media within within your environment that influence you know your what you're smelling and what right. you know the heat around you uh and then the ar or vr whatever it is headset you know provides the sound and the visuals right um so i think you know in terms of how we get from there which we'll say is three um you know in this and you like you said the smell is already happening it's happening now right to four which is allowing people to manipulate those things and sort of build and express and allow people to subscribe to different, different content. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be a YouTube for VR worlds, right? Or I mean, yeah. it's probably just going to be YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Facebook even. Yeah. They're trying to do um, that with Oculus. And so, you know, there's, I don't think that there's any reason to think that, these other stimuli or sense sensory things uh, that are included wouldn't necessarily be connected to that anyway. Yeah. And so then at that point you just move into the ability once it's once it's on like a, a, a platform for mass distribution like that, then it's easy to hit number four. Yeah. Like once once there's a platform for that mass distribution, I think you know it happens. Mm-hmm. And well, so yeah. I think all you have to do is develop that platform. And someone, someone really smart is just going to connect all these different elements together to allow people to do that. Yeah. Well, I think maybe it's that and also also just knowing that it's going to happen and develop an API to allow that to happen. Uh, allow people to query and manage and change your information. Uh, yeah. That might just I mean, be an ego thing. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of hardwares, too, that have to be built for this to you know, really become an immersive experience. Mm-hmm. And immersive, immersive in as much as the physical world is the real world. I mean, as as the digital world, I would say. Yeah. But I mean that 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 would be my ideal. Yeah. But I still think that there's a need to um, be associated with place. Yeah. Uh, I had I had something here. It was kind of it was kind of word like wordy word bait clickbait crap. Um, where did it go? Uh, maybe I'm not gonna find it. Oh well. Oh well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no, there's no question. I think that there is a lot of value to be gained from doing what we're doing, um, or doing what we're talking about, flowing in in in, in environments. Um, 
sort of well one because there's not a whole lot of value to be gained. there's not a whole lot of value in architecture right now sadly or interior design maybe you can tell from how much we get paid um but two i think it's just this is such a good opportunity i could see this being used for so many things right like you think yeah, about it kevin kelly even described some right well but he, he yeah he described somebody related to music which i think um Obviously, it, it's it's what you know. He took the low hanging fruit because he had to write a whole book, and it's already almost being done. But I think there's a lot of opportunity here, even for using minimal imagination for architecture and space. I mean, think about like we're currently on this podcast together. Like, we could potentially share an experience in terms of that. Like, do we share lighting levels? Do we share uh, find an optimal texture of the walls that sort of optimizes how sound is reverberated around the room and, and optimize our physical experience that way. And then, and then if that's hosted on the cloud, then do we kind of take those variables and tweak them to match what we need in our own specific place? Um, or, I mean, we're both in long-term or long distance relationships. So can you share a physical experience there, right? A, a lighting yeah. level, a smell, There's... a sound um, that sort of connects you in a way. Right. And then integrate VR into that. So you're kind of like next to the person, even while you're yeah. doing it. I, I, you know, that you're, you're integrating physical and digital right there. Um, someone's going to figure this out and they're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. One thing, one thing I was wondering with this, uh, I'll talk about it some other time. <laughs> you know, can places be unhinged from place? But that's, that's sort of beyond this discussion. But yeah. I, I definitely agree. Like, there's there's so much opportunity here, uh, you know, for someone to make a lot of money, and for a lot of great environments and experiences to be built. You know, infinitely, you know, combinable. There's there's gonna be infinite options in terms of what you could experience, where you want to experience, how you experience it, and you know, giving people the opportunity to define the environmental experiences they have i'm excited just to see what people do oh yeah i mean i think i think really we're we are one sort of smart home um i don't know what you'd call it conglomeration or, or smart home system away from having a marketplace for environments as soon as smell vision smell light sound um i don't know texture even as soon as as soon as the majority of these things are easily accessible to people and kind of ubiquitously distributed and, yeah. and linked together you're gonna have a marketplace that someone's yeah. gonna post their environment and other people are gonna take it and tweak it for the room layout that they have and then put it back up there you know right. and and throw in some vr stuff in there as well uh yeah I, I think we're not very far off from that no. It's a hardware thing at this point. It's like iTunes. Yeah, and, and then, you know, at some point, the hardware is just going to all merge into one thing anyway. Yeah. Like, Google Home is already getting to that point. Yeah. Like, that's the whole idea. It's taking all these things and merging it into one system. You know, at some point, it's not going to make, it's not going to matter to have different pieces of hardware to do the, to do all these different things. Like, the hardware is just going to be accomplished in one type of device or in this case we could say an architecture material i think yeah that's what i think uh, yeah yeah that's yeah. what our competition suggested <laughs> <laughs> yeah whether that happens we'll, yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens there yeah um, 
But I'm excited well, about it. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, let me see. I don't know if I had anything else to really add. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had other things that were sort of tangentially related to this uh, that, that were sparked by this um, chapter, not necessarily related to space, and I don't know how much of a hole we want to get down talking about them, but I think maybe we, if you want to just give it a one or two minute shout. Um, yeah. Could be so. interesting. Uh, there was one thing, and, and I, this quote has stuck with me since I re- first read the book, or at least first started reading the book a while ago. Um, there's this Marshall, McGlo- Marshall McLuhan quote, or something. Marshall where, McLuhan. Yeah, where he's like, the first version of a new medium imitates the one it replaces, right? Yeah. I thought... I, I've, I've come back to that so many times, uh, referencing it in conversations with other people. Um, and, and it come back to me again because of this cryptocurrency thing, right? It's, it's the new fad. It's what's making or was making people money. Uh, I'll admit that I'm in it. I'm in, I'm in on Ethereum right now. Ethereum. Uh, I'm long on Ethereum. I think it's got a lot of potential or something Ethereum-like. Maybe it's the next Ethereum that will actually take off. Um, yeah. But what really kind of struck me about that was, um, not that I, you know, obviously I'd heard it before or read it before, but I was thinking about Bitcoin, right? And Bitcoin is sort of the first version or the first big cryptocurrency, right? We all kind of have heard about it by now. Um, and, and really Bitcoin is basically money. Uh, it imitates money. It even, it kind of even imitates, uh, 1800s money and that it's linked to the the digital version of the gold standard it's limited in possible supply right um but it doesn't really bring any new features besides anonymity on anonymity how have you pronounce that um anonymousness yeah anonymous <laughs> yeah that um and 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 i guess certain extent trust and the ability to send it all across the world but largely it's the same as money um so i think i think that's a good example of of new medium uh, imitates the one it replaces or in this case plans and replacing because i don't i don't think bitcoin's going anywhere it's just replacing money um versus like you know maybe the next iteration is slightly better so we're looking at ethereum right it's introducing these smart contracts it's introducing um, this, these abilities to sort of link money to an event or link money to a location or link money to something intelligent that it can respond to, right? So, um, okay, so it's a little spiel. So in terms of architecture, like using digital media to modify and augment the physical environment in much the same way we do right now. Right. Yeah. It just makes it quicker, more on demand. Yeah. Is, uh, is one of the things he mentioned a lot. But it's a good point. It's a good point. The real the reality is the digital environments allow us to do some pretty more some some things that are a lot more creative than just that too. Yeah. It doesn't um, have to be a glorified like, light switch. Right. So you know, being able it can you know you mentioned this idea of being able to experience a space with someone else at the same time, sort of share identities and preferences. It can be this thing that's entirely more social it can you know yeah i mean that's what facebook wants to do yeah it can connect people um across the world in a physical place and not just a digital one um and so maybe that's maybe that's a good example of how what we have right now in terms of this digital uh birth 
place, you know, genesis of uh, physical interaction is just kind of really dumb. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's def- there's definitely something that is becoming and moving towards. Right, right, right. It's, you know, at first you had to turn on the lights with your phone or turn on the coffee maker with your phone. Now you can turn it on with your voice. It's sort of yeah. moving away from that, but it's still doing exactly what it did before. Yeah. But, I mean, being able to experience a physical place like someone, like, the physical place of someone across the globe is much different than just using the tools to using your voice to change to turn off the lights and such yeah for sure yeah for that's, sure that's much that's that's a different medium completely completely because yeah, I mean, it's completely changing the medium suppose you yeah you, you can in a certain way you can empathize with how much light they have what they're smelling at the time um, exactly and it helps you understand their identity yeah but you're still within, the, in, to a certain extent, within the confines of your own identity, right? Because your walls are in the same place, your ceilings in the same place. Well, the question is whether or not you are, right? And whether or not that allows you to reach this status of empathy in some way. Yeah. How mu- at what point is it so much that your environment changes completely? And how much of it is maybe, superficial? Maybe you, have to, maybe you have to engage three of five senses fully. 80%. 80% engagement of three of five senses. <laughs> that, that could be a really interesting installation for you down at UOI. Have someone build up like this black box room and, and see how many, see where they can fig, kind of figure out that where they are based on how many senses they're activating. That, I don't know how you devise that experiment, but it'd be really well, what cool. What you do is, is you have a black room and then you, you have one, you, you say button one lights up and they press it. And they're like, okay, some, a light comes on. Button two turns on and they press it. You know, they get a puff of some smell or something. Yeah. But, you know, and maybe smell comes later because it's probably going to tell someone exactly where they are. But Or at, or the first, like, button one's a smell and it's like a New York City alleyway or something with, like, rats. Button two is, you know, a brown light, I guess. Brown Well, maybe color. you put them in, like, an Oculus Rift or, or a Google headset and, and you don't turn on the actual VR experience until after you've run through a couple other senses. Huh. Right, so you like fun. right, you puff them, puff them with a smell, give them a noise, and then if they still don't know where they are, you give them the visual, yeah, or you give them huh. the texture or something. That'd be really cool. There's probably a very good scientific way of doing this, but what you describe sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have fun with it too, right? Yeah. Otherwise, who's gonna do it? That'd be that'd be awesome though. If you could get some funding to do that, you just need to be able to build a couple stud walls and. And a headset, and then have some students build a 3D model for you, and then you have to buy one of those sound, and you have some speakers, you have one of those smeller things, and and there it is. Could we could do the all of the lights installation? I oh wanted to gosh. do so long, a while back. Much less scientific, <laughs> but but also fun. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how all hard right. it'd be. Yeah. I was like, I wonder how hard it would be for you to get funding from the school for random crap like this. Uh, we don't, I don't know if we have any money. <laughs> Sad. I mean, it has to be valuable in some way, right? Yeah, I think I think the, at least the first one would be valuable in terms of starting a conversation on how to do things. Okay, maybe it can be a quibbit thing. Starting a conversation, yeah, you'd have to fund it. Maybe have a bake sale or something. <laughs> well, that could be what it is. Yeah. 
In order to get out of the box, you have to buy a cookie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you'd have to then you'd, then you'd have to front the money and you'd pay for that later. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, did you have anything else? No, I think uh, I think that about sums it up. I mean, there are a lot of things in this chapter that are probably worth talking about at some point, but I just don't have a point of discussion on them. Um, so in terms of point of discussion, that's about it. All right, I didn't really have any more. Um, I want. Hang on, I was going to talk a little bit about ethics and you know experiencing place within place and places and you know what does it mean to experience an experience of another but i don't think we really want to get into that i think that that could be something we discuss later i think that's worthwhile talking point yeah um okay well i think uh wrap this up yeah I, i think what next week we'll do one more chapter uh from the inevitable and then after that we got our first guest coming on um and then after that do we have two weeks in a row of guests is that is that the time so i think we might have a guest on talking to us on the 31st of january and that episode will probably air the following monday i don't know it could probably air sooner we'll see oh wait yeah no yeah we have a guest talking with us on the 31st and then the third slash fourth yeah so Um, i think the 31st one will just air the next day Uh, yeah and then they're just, yeah, so we got two guests. We got one, maybe one more episode this weekend, and then uh, what do you think? Or is that too many? Um, we'll see. We'll figure it out. Anyway, yeah. stay tuned for a couple of guests, and if you made it through this far, thanks for sticking with us, and give us a rating on iTunes. It would be very and appreciative of that. And I'll send you a cookie. Yeah, uh, comment, and you might get a cookie from Christian. <laughs> All, right. All right, thank you, see everyone. You.